Nehemiah, someone asked me if I was going to be able to do a one-off, but I really enjoyed Nehemiah, and so I'm joining in on Samuel's lesson. Oh, my phone is asleep, so the slide's not up there. But as I read through, I'm going to read the entire passage of Nehemiah 4. It's a long chapter, but it is the Word of God, so it should bring us excitement and joy. All of God's Word from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelations 21 is good for learning, for building up, and for knowledge. And Nehemiah has a lot of fun stories within it. And so sit with me as I read through Nehemiah 4. And while I'm reading through it, I want to think of two things. These aren't my points, but they're things that are kind of overarching the book of Nehemiah, the rebuilding of hope and opposition. Both those words up there uh, really come through when reading through Nehemiah 4. Uh, So turn with me to God's word. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes on it, they will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger and in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. All the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sinbalt and Tobiah and the uh, Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that this repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being to begin to be closed, They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said, at these times, we must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed people by their clans and with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God frustrated, had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. For that day on, half the servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work in one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to him and the nobles, to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated by the wall far from one another. 
In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us at night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor my men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon by his right hand. Would you pray with me really quick? Heavenly Father, I pray you be in my mouth, in my speaking, in my head, and in my thinking, in my heart, and in my loving, Lord. I pray that you be with us, and not my words be heard, but your word be heard. I pray all this in your precious and most holy name. Amen. So, this morning, uh, this whole passage is about opposition. Opposition from multiple sides, not just these surrounding armies, and we'll get to them in a second, but also people who are part of the group that's building the walls. It says men of Judah came up and rose and spoke out. And so the, the three things I want us to focus on this morning are prayer and action, power in the ordinary, and the people of God. It took me a while to get all three Ps, but <laughs> I thought it was good. It's very good Presbyterian, three points, three Ps. Um, and so when we look at this passage, from the very get-go, we hear about this opposition. That these people from these tribes on the outside that we've read about in Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 3, these names are placed, that these groups, these tribes, are talking badly about our people, the people of Israel, uh, this group that Nehemiah uh, has banded together to rebuild their city. But who are these groups? They, they were also other uh, vassal cities. There were other um, tribes who were also ran by the same kind of group that was above Nehemiah, uh, and the people of Israel, they were also slaves, but they had kind of wiggled their way into some freedom. They, they had been given uh, some openness amidst everything going on. They were allowed to do kind of as they wished, as long as they listened to the powers that be above. Um, and then when they found out Israel was kind of gaining the same power that they had, they didn't like that very much. They weren't big fans that somebody else was kind of joining in uh, their group. And these, these three tribes were kind of all surrounded around Israel. Um, around Jerusalem. They were in the north, they were to the southeast, and they were to the northwest. They were kind of in these very uh, specific spots, and if they attack, I don't know if you've ever, um, maybe in a video game, it's more than likely been in battle, but you don't want to be surrounded on all sides when you're, when you're fighting someone. And Jerusalem was not, like we know, built up well. There weren't a lot of walls yet. We were still building that. So this opposition, when it comes from these powerful groups that were supported by this overarching king that was running everything, it can be a terrifying thing. Opposition is scary, no matter how strong you feel. Uh, when I was reading through Nehemiah and reading all these different groups, I constantly thought of sophomore year of high school, which for me is a long time ago. Uh, it was like 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> uh, and we started our own soccer program at my high school. Uh, we never had a soccer program. Uh, I looked uh, smaller and thinner back then. Uh, so I was a soccer player, not a football player. Um, but we started this program, and during while we were creating it, we had two groups that were really uh, opposed to this. We had not only kind of other schools that we were about to have to compete against physically with playing soccer and everything else, but we also had sports teams that were part of my high school who also didn't want us uh, to start up. Soccer was not a popular sport in rural Michigan, if you can believe that. Um, and so we had all these different... Uh, antagonists at each other. 
Uh, and like a high schooler, what I did was just verbally confront them and speak ill back forth and just kind of, uh, or physically, not beat them, but beat them on the field, right? We go out and play against them. I wouldn't like use my fist, but you know, in soccer, uh, beating them that way. But that's not what Nehemiah does. When he's faced with this opposition from these warring tribes on the outside, they're speaking ill will. They're saying things as mean as that if, even if a fox gets up on your wall and knocks it over. Right? They're not only making fun of the, the city as a whole, but they're saying that the work these, that the people are doing there isn't good enough. And so what does Nehemiah do? Does he instantly shout out against these tribes? He's like, all right, guys, let's get our swords, let's get our shields, we're going to run out and attack these people. No. He prays. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. We see this throughout the book of Nehemiah. Uh, we see it throughout the Bible that prayer is important. Uh, Samuel said this morning that, that prayer is one of the biggest tools we have to defend against the evil one. That It talks about in Ephesians that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but rather the, the, the workings of the evil one and our sin in our own hearts that can be a liar to us. And that prayer is that great defender, that the, the way the Holy Spirit works in us. And we have this awesome book, I do this all the time with the students that hold it up, uh, because we have this great book from beginning to end, and it has hundreds of prayers in it, if not thousands, but ways to speak to our God and our Creator. Uh, and I think that's really exciting. And whenever I talk about the Bible, it always makes me think of a guy named Martin Luther. Uh, not, the one, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, who lived a couple hundred years before him. And Martin Luther was a, a monk, and what he did was he went from having the Bible only allowed for clergy to allowing the Bible to be for everyone. This may surprise you if you don't know the story about Martin Luther, but that was not a popular thing. He faced a lot of opposition. But Martin Luther, like Nehemiah, was a man of prayer. He was a man who prayed before he did anything. He thought things out and prayed about them before entering into it. And so what happened after he prayed? What did Nehemiah do? He just say, all right, pray, it's in God's hand, and that's it. I'm just going to just walk up, we're going to keep doing it. No, he, he followed that up with action. That, that prayer is the starting point. It is uh, the fuel for the, the rocket, the engine, whatever uh, illustration you want to use, for propelling our action forward. That as followers of Christ, that we're not only called to pray for our brothers and sisters and pray for those outside these walls, but we're called to go. We're called to step out and love and all those other beautiful things to make disciples of all nations. And so Nehemiah creates action. What does he do? He tells his people, hey, I need somebody to guard up. I need somebody with their sword and their shield while your buddy is uh, putting down, um, I was about to say clay, but that's not how stone walls are built, but to put down all these different things to build the walls that somebody else is guarding. And then when you're done, we'll switch up and somebody else will do that. And so this action is taking place with a long prayer. And as a church, we can see that, right? We, we have elders and deacons who are constantly praying for us. We have church staff who's praying for us. We have members who are praying for us. And we have wonderful volunteers who go out and enact these things that we're praying for. We don't, we don't just pray about having cool community events. We have people who are going out and be like, hey, we're going to have this huge festival behind the church, this harvest party. Those volunteers, they're taking action amidst praying and understanding what God has. And so the next... I'm really bad at these slides. Uh, Prayer and action. And the next thing I want to focus on is power in the ordinary. I don't know if any of you have seen anything um, like a pillar of smoke leading you what to do next or a pillar of fire. 
uh, or maybe uh, the walls of the Puget Sound move left and to the right so you can get to wherever you're going. I've never really had any experience like that. Um, even when, I guess the closest thing I can think of is coming out here to Washington, uh, not knowing what I was going to do next, and a friend of a friend reached out and said, hey, reach out to this awesome church in Washington, and I live 3,000 miles away in a heat bucket, uh, Samuel's hometown of Mississippi. (laughs) Um, But God works through the power of the ordinary. I found this position through really simple means, through the internet, through conversation, through meeting, that all too often God works through the ordinary. He works through things uh, that we may see as boring. That God puts trust in the processes he's already put in place. This morning with the students and during Immerse, we talked about um, how God's means get done. That, That God not only works supernaturally through things, but also things like the sun going up and down and the crops growing is something that God initiates. Some really sounding boring, but it feeds all of us. All of us have benefited from farmers and from fields growing. And those happen because of the way God has in place things. God has set things uh, to go. And so within these enemies coming from all around, Nehemiah had to make decisions how to deal with this opposition. He could go out into battle. Uh, Israel, as we've seen a lot in the Old Testament, is really good at battle, or at least God is very good at using Israel to complete his terms. But instead, Nehemiah stays, he defends, and he prays. And I'm sure there's a lot of talking, too, because it said the other opposition was who? was men and people of Judah. People within the community were opposed to Nehemiah. And it doesn't really give any reason other than, hey, these guys are talking really bad about us, and it's scary, so maybe we shouldn't do that. That At the end of the day, a lot of the opposition from inside of, of Nehemiah wasn't necessarily because uh, they thought the walls were bad or that they didn't trust the work of the workers, but because they had heard from outside sources that what, we were, that what Nehemiah was doing wasn't beneficial, wasn't going to work, and they were scared of the outcome, the negativity. But Nehemiah continues on his process. He doesn't work extra harder. Extra harder, I don't know if that's a word. But he doesn't work uh, continuously more and more, but rather he sticks with the process, sticks what he knows God has called him to do. They prayed and they planned, as Samuel pointed out, for the first three chapters, and they're building this wall uh, slowly but surely, and they're trusting the process. They're trusting what God has uh, laid out for them. They've trusted what Nehemiah and the other elders have called them to do, that even this opposition, when it comes in, that doesn't change their plan of attack, doesn't change the way they do things. Uh, when talking about kind of believing in the ordinary, oftentimes we can uh, think that means we get the excuse to be uh, workaholics maybe or work overwork, uh, continue to work. I come from a family who loves to work. Uh, my father, uh, God bless him, loves to work. He's very good at it. But he also knew times to take breaks in order to invest with his family. Uh, he loved working on Saturdays because nobody else was in the office. Uh, but when I was playing soccer, he would not work. He would trust the system, and he would drive me to my soccer games or beat me in my soccer games. Um, I have a lot of stories of my father being better at me than soccer. Um, even though he's old, it didn't make sense. High schoolers never underestimate your parents. Um, but um, throughout this, uh, kind of this power of this ordinary, not wanting to overwork, uh, this story comes up to me in my head of a guy named Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor. Uh, he was pastor for a long time, a church planner in Lansing, Michigan, uh, or this, 
And then he's now a professor. He has his doctor, all these fancy things. But that's what talk about is when he first started church planning, when his boots first hit the ground, uh, he started working 80, 90, 100 hours a week trying to get this church grow, trying to get this church to be built. And he was so scared that if he didn't, then it wouldn't happen. He, got, he talks about in one of his books that if I don't, then it won't. And he stopped trusting in his God and his Father, the one who laid out these processes. He stopped trusting that God was working out all things for his good. And so, luckily, within time to save his marriage, his church, and his family, he slowed down. He, started, he kept with the plan that he had originally set. And that through the power of the ordinary, through trusting in God's power, that he'll make up the slack. Because I don't know if you know of this, but we aren't perfect. We'll mess up. We aren't going to get everything right. But God does. Growing up, my mom would always say that God's already in tomorrow. That we don't have to worry about things because God's already got tomorrow handled. That if I don't finish this paper in time or uh, if something happens where it's just messed up my whole day and I'm like, but what about tomorrow? And mom's like, God's got that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's here. Uh, today we can, we can deal with. And so as we as a community, uh, like Nehemiah, are amidst a time where we are rebuilding hope, where we're amidst a time where we're trying to go out and love our neighbors, um, we can oftentimes feel uh, intimidated by the work that's ahead. We can feel intimidated by um, feeling like we have to do 10,000 things all at once, when maybe God's calling you to one specific thing. Maybe God's just calling you to run a game like throwing axes at the harvest party. I don't know if we're doing that, but I'm just saying random games. Or maybe God is calling uh, you to just help pour coffee or something. Because building the church ultimately, um, actually, I'm going to let a friend uh, say what building the church is like. He's a pastor down in Jackson, Mississippi. He's from Scotland, so he has this great accent. uh, And we say everything sounds better in Scottish. Um, it sounds much more powerful. I can't read on here, so I'm going to read it here. His name's Dr. D- Dr. David Strain, um, but I'm just going to read in English or in my normal accent. Uh, but this—he was talking about Nehemiah. We were talking together about it because uh, he had recently uh, completed it, and I asked him if he had a good quote about Nehemiah about rebuilding. And he said, "Jesus is the one who builds the New Jerusalem, the Church of the Living God, not with bricks and mortar." But he builds the city of God from living stones, from changed lives brought out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I thought that was really exciting. That that Jesus builds the church. And then when he talks about Jesus building the church, he's not talking about this beautiful building we're in. He's talking about each and every one of you. Our lives are changed by going out and listening to the gospel, by preaching the gospel to our brothers and sisters. Whether you interact with one person who doesn't believe in God a week, or maybe you interact with thousands, that God works in and then through that. That despite the opposition you may face, because you maybe think differently or believe differently, if you do it in love, if you trust the process that God has uh, given us, you trust the ordinary means of grace, we can know that God will work in that. And that's the, the last point the people of God. That we as a people of God, like in the book of Nehemiah, come together. That Nehemiah, when he prays, after he prays and he enacts things, we can see that the community builds around Nehemiah and around the leaders, but ultimately build around God. 
what God has called them to do. Nehemiah says it in his prayer that these uh, Sanballat and all of them are not just speaking against Jerusalem and them building their physical walls, but they're also speaking against God because this is God's plan. There's lots of stories in the Bible where um, it's actually in the Hebrew tradition that making fun of a prophet was the same as almost as making fun of God, as defaming God's name. Not because the prophet's so great, but because the prophet's job was to speak the word of God. We talked about it at the great escape with the students that we're all made in the image of God. And what that means is that your brothers and sisters out in this world are also made in images of God. If we're made in images of God, that means we are to treat one another with the same love and consideration that Christ showed us. I just went through uh, marriage counseling, and there's a really pretty passage that's normally centered around marriage, but I think really speaks about showing how Christ interacts with us. It's in 1 Corinthians. Uh, you probably uh, know the passage, and it, not first, it's in Ephesians. Sorry, I'm mixing up my Bible. It's in Ephesians, and it calls that... And we are called, uh, husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. That he got up and died for her. You ever think about that? That one day you might be called to die in order that one person gets uh, saved. I always think about that story. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but a little boy's walking on a beach and there's all these uh, jellyfish and all these sea creatures that are drying up because the tide had gone out. And there he picks one up and he throws it into the ocean. And the beach is just covered with thousands of them. And this old man walks up and he's like, what are you doing? You're not going to be able to save all 100,000 of these little creatures. The little boy looks at him he picks up another one and he hucks in the ocean. He's like, well, it mattered to that one. And yes, at the end of the day, who changes lives, who turns hearts towards God is Christ. It's a beautiful thing about Presbyterianism. It's a beautiful thing about what the Bible says, that we can trust in God for salvation. But as, as people, we are called to go out and to show love. We are called to go out and be the church, to love uh, those around us. We are called to defend our brothers and sisters in Christ. That Nehemiah just didn't continue the workers, be like, hey, hold on your sword and put down brick and mortar. Like, do, he not only did that, but he also said, hey, you're going to have someone behind you, protecting you, backing you up. You have accountability. You have someone who's there to support you. As Christians, we are given the Bible. We are given this awesome book to help us. We're, we're given prayer, as Samuel has said multiple times, as the Bible says hundreds of times. We're also given each other. We're given this community, this wonderful, wonderful community of new hope. If you're visiting with us, we have a wonderful community here. And Christians as a whole come together to help each other, help us through. When I was in seminary, my dad was really excited about where I went because he said building a foundation, knowing that you have somewhere to fall on that will protect you, is paramount, is uh, better, than, um, better than fine gold or anything else. Knowing that if I trip up or, or I don't know what to do next or if I feel like I can't breathe, I have someone uh, who can hold me and tell me to breathe and love me and encourage me, someone to be there for me. That Nehemiah, during when all this opposition is at the gate, he uh, brings, he, he prays, and the people of God come together to continue the work that God has laid out for them. And what is the work that God has laid out for all of us? It's the same work he's laid out for the past 2,000 years, right? It's in the Great Commission. It's at the end of Matthew. Uh, it's a great way, I think, to, to end uh, this talk on Nehemiah 4, that we are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
that amidst opposition, not only from uh, maybe you feel like we're being opposed from all these different things, but also our sin in our own hearts, the things that hold us back from speaking up, that we can trust God and we can trust our community to love and support us, that amidst that, we can have prayer and we can take action. We can trust in the power of the ordinary, of the everyday, of showing love to someone, even if you're not necessarily sharing the gospel, just being there for someone every day while you're at work, or maybe with your family. And that you can trust that the people of God will be there for you to support you amidst all things. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Most Holy Father, we thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for the testimony that he gave of prayer and action. That he gave us uh, a reminder that we are called to build the church, that we are called to go out and follow what you have called us to do, but we are also called to do it together. It's a community. We are called to do it together in love. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray you be with us throughout the rest of this week, month, and the year. In your precious and most holy name, amen.